Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Starting this new series, it's a three-part series as we get ready for the church-wide conference. And this series is called Triggers. As many of you know, we use that word quite often, whether we are triggered or there are different triggers. And so we use this word a lot. And the problem is that I think so many of us we have different understandings of this word. So I want to first start off and kind of define it so we're all on the same page. And so every single time we use this word, we have an understanding of it. Let me just pause here and just say that those of you who um, have our church app, you can open it up. There's going to be notes in there so you could jot it down and follow along. Uh, for those of you who haven't um, downloaded yet, please do so. Uh, we have we have a lot of push notifications about different things going on in our church and a lot of resources. And let's just give a just applause to the team. You know, they cr- created so many resources during the fast. And those who are participating in the intercessory prayer team, as well as those on our technological teams on the web page and all that kind of stuff. So let's give them a hand. Can we do that? All right. Praise God. Um, We're just really thankful. And as you know, there's so many churches that actually hire people to do all this stuff because they're working and they're they're busy. But our church, we have so many of these volunteers who sacrifice Netflix. Um, What else? Uh, Many other things so that they can dedicate their time. I know some of them are sleepless nights. So really thank you. And it's been a blessing. And that's what the body of Christ is all about. So let me go ahead and just kind of define a triggers, and I'm just going to use a dictionary so that it will help us to understand it. And then as we talk about it, uh, we can move together with this idea of the word triggered. So let me first use the Merriman Dictionary definition. It defines trigger as this. First of all, occurring in response to a stimulus typically perceived as negative or harmful. The second part of that dict- uh, dict- Merriman Dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, Definition is caused to feel an intense and unusually negative emotional reaction. So if you think about that definition in the dictionary, it's just anything that happens to us. There's some different, um, many stimuli or different stimulus that comes our way and it creates this negative emotion in our lives. And as many of you know, with negative emotion comes a lot of other things, even physiological struggles uh, through the whole process. Let me give you the Cambridge Dictionary definition of it, and it defines as something similar, but listen to what it says. It defines trigger as to cause a strong emotional reaction of fear, shock, anger, or worry in someone, especially because they are made to remember something bad that has happened in the past. And the reason why I thought it was good to give this also, this other dictionary definition of it is because a lot of times our triggers are sometimes sparked by things that we've experienced, bad experiences in the past. Now, there's no one who right now that you will meet for the very first time that do not have a specific story. That's why whenever you interact with different types of people, they have gone through so many different things in their lives. And depending on what we say, depending on how the interaction is or different things that are happening in their lives, this is when so often 
that there are things that trigger them. And that's why sometimes we have no idea and we're like, what is wrong with that person? But you have to try to understand a little of their story. Can I ask you this morning, what is or are some of your triggers? What are some of those things that have happened in your life that oftentimes when somebody says something or does something, it kind of triggers you. It creates a sense of fear, this anger, the shock from that experience that you went through. I was thinking about this and I realized that many people can go through their whole lives without fully understanding what their triggers are. And because they don't understand themselves, there's a low self-awareness. They're constantly in the same situation over and over again. Let me just pause here and uh, don't point any fingers, but how many of you know of some people that they're constantly in the same situation over and over again? Now, some of them are your close friends. Some of them are your family members. And so often you see them and you're, they're constantly in this cycle and then they get out of it and then they jump right back into it. It could be an emotional issue. It can be a mental state issue. It could even be relational. And you see this thing happening over and over again. It's because they are not aware of themselves and what they have gone through in their lives. And that's why other things continue to trigger them in their lives. I was thinking about uh, if some of you had a critical parent, then any form of criticism will trigger you. Why? Because when you're growing up and having a critical parent, your self-worth and your value now is going down. So anyone now as a grown person, as you're living your life, whether it's at work or it might be in just different relationships and friendships, when someone criticizes you, there's a visceral response that's connected to your experience that you had as you were growing up. Some of you have yet to deal with some of these issues. And I think this is the reason why that we really have to tackle this as we talk about this series, the three-part series. I was thinking about some other people. If you were bullied as a kid, then what I would say is that's a pretty significant and impactful thing that has happened in your life. And therefore, whenever you see other people getting bullied or you're getting bullied or any form of injustice, you'll realize that there's a lot of visceral response, negative feelings that will be conjured up. Think about when some of you who grew up in an abusive home, you're going to get triggered when you see just mistreatment of other people and when other people mistreat you. Think about an experience with a failure in your life. Those failures, oftentimes, we don't know how to handle it, especially when we're younger. And you, we live in this culture in Asia where it's all about performance. And that has an impact on your life. So some of you right now, you get triggered when there's something that you know you might fail or you're not certain if you're going to do well, so you just avoid it altogether. And how many missed opportunities in our lives because we're so afraid of failure? So as I was thinking about some of these examples, I couldn't help but to think about, well, what are my triggers? And this is just an, just an honest confession. This was a very difficult message to actually prepare because as I'm thinking about trigger, I'm getting triggered. I'm like, what, what are those things that I'm struggling with? And then I didn't have to, for some things, I didn't have to think too hard. Because there are a lot of things that trigger me. 
And uh, we don't want to go there. This is going to be like a five-hour sermon there, okay? So there, there are a lot of things I could be like, oh, yeah, that triggers me. That, that triggers me. And then other things, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, huh, like, what are some other things in my life that maybe I haven't even searched deep within that really do trigger or are connected to other things? So I came up with three things that I think are pretty clear. When I see this, man, something inside of me gets all worked up to the point where sometimes I will do things um, or try to do things either his, uh, heroically and then I've completely, um, what's the best word for it? I'm trying to think here, <laughs> that it will cause me to think that I'm doing something noble, but sometimes it could backfire. So the first thing is I was thinking about this is that when I face racism or injustice, and I realize that I can get easily triggered. And I was thinking, why is that? And I realized that growing up, most of my life, I was a minority, especially living in the United States. And in some ways, I had to be very self-sufficient. And I had to try to present myself or even try to fight some of the racism, even though some of them were very subtle. And so whenever I see racism or any kind of injustice, there's something inside of me that gets very triggered. And then I was thinking about some other things. And one of the another thing that came up was... And this is the part that I'm not necessarily proud of, but and, and a lot of these things, I had to go deeper. Why is this the case? And I realized that when incompetent people try to prove themselves as if they're, they're competent, and I'm like, what is it about it that triggers me? And I've come to the conclusion, a lot of it's my pride. Because whenever someone is humble and they realize I can't do this, then it's easier for me to say, okay, then let's try to work, help out or do whatever. But it's the incompetency, and in that pride, oftentimes they try to present themselves a certain way. That's why sometimes saving face and a lot of those other things, uh, I realize it really triggers me a lot. And here I am in Asia, so you can pretty much guess, every single day something's triggered me. And as I have to go deeper within my heart, I realize it's really rooted in my pride. Another thing that I came up with is that when people say one thing, but they do something completely different. I don't know why, but it just triggers me. And I'm sure as none of us are perfect, I'm, I'm a trigger for other people as well. But think about this for a moment, that when you say one thing and then that person does something else. So as I was thinking about what is it about it, as I started kind of digging deeper, I realize a lot of it is expectations. Once again, it goes back down to me of things that I, this person said they were going to do or this person, they said they're going to follow through on this. And so there's certain kind of expectations. There's certain kind of hope in those things. And then all of a sudden you get disappointed. So there's a sense of disrespect. There's a sense of, wow, I cannot trust this person. And so those things become triggers for me. I'm just wondering what are some of your triggers. When you think about a given day, from morning to night, and some of you who have families and those who have roommates, when you think about some of those triggers, if we were honest this morning, we were going to have to confess that we don't feel very good. It affects our attitude. It affects how we view that person how we treat that person. 
because a lot of it is rooted in what we've experienced and what we don't like. And that's why we want to talk about triggers with this gospel lens. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for other people? And how do we live this gospel-centered life, especially with all the triggers that are around us? So I wanted to pause here and show you this quick video. I know that some of you are probably well familiar with this, but in the age of social media and in the age of the cell phone or the mobile phone, you could take pictures of anything at any time. And in this past several years, the thing that has been kind of brought to the attention of a lot of people are in light of Black Lives Matter and a lot of social justice issue, that a lot of racism or prejudice or people who are known as Karens or Kens, and you, you know those negative derogatory terms, which I don't know if it's the best thing to use, but as you know that there have been so many different videos that came out of people who are feeling very entitled and privileged and they just get triggered by some of the dumbest things. And later on, they found out that they were completely wrong. But the part that I have a problem with all this is a lot of times they end up shaming that person. And in the midst of just making a mistake, or maybe they're, they are prejudiced, and these things are coming out in front of the whole world to see. And many of them have received death threats. Many of them have received just a lot of psychological and emotional issues out of that. Some of you might have no compassion to say, well, they deserved it because look what they did. But once again, everyone has an issue or a trigger point that we have to understand. So I wanted to show you this video. It's a, it happened pretty, uh, not too long ago. It was pretty famous because this little girl was trying to sell water to go to a Disneyland trip. And then someone ended up calling the police on her and the, the mama bear she ain't having any of that stuff. And so she decided to take a picture or a video and it got on the news. And so I wanted to show you this and then we'll come back. So let's watch it together. Amazing. In that video, everyone got triggered. Not only that lady, but the mama did and the girl did. And even when she was willing to apologize, she would not have anything to do with that which I think is a problem for many of us. That sometimes these triggers, what it does is that it creates these emotional and mental states that hinders us from being Christ-like. So I'm wondering for some of us, what are your triggers? What is that one trigger that oftentimes leads you to this path that pulls you away from not only in growing in sanctification and becoming more like Jesus Christ, but it hinders you from seeing opportunities for you to be a blessing because you yourself have been blessed. As we talk about this, I think it's important to really understand that it goes deeper than just our actions. It goes deeply into the things of our hearts and especially the way we think and so if we're just focused on behavior modification, then we're not going to change. Something that we have in our church that we've been trying to promote and trying to encourage you to understand and even practice during your times of reflection is simply the T principle. That is the T-E-A. 
And the thing that I want to just try to encourage us with is to understand, because we're going to use this as kind of like a framework to help us to work through those things that trigger us. See, a lot of times when we think about triggers, what happens is that we come from the opposite end. So we first look at our actions. So look at what we did. This is what we're struggling with. So it's our actions first. And then from our actions, we see then it's the emotions. And then from our emotions, it's our thought life. And so think about it. Actions, something happens. And then we react. We go through this emotion. And then from there, we think through like what just happened. But it's really important to understand that you got to start from your thoughts. What are some of your thoughts? How does that lead into your actions? And how does that lead into not, no, excuse me, your emotions and then your actions? So that's the T principle, the T-E-A. So we're going to kind of use this just throughout this whole series so that we can help identify what those different struggles are. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to just talk about three specific things. There's so many we could have talked about, but we decided to just focus on these three. The part one, which is today, I'm going to talk about emotions. And then part two, we're going to talk about families. And I know for some of you, families are huge triggers for you and helping you to work through some of those different issues. And the third part we're going to talk about are circumstances, the different things that are outside of our control, things that we cannot do, things that we don't have power over, but at least we can control how we respond to some of those things. So the one thing that I want to share for today is simply this. Don't be controlled by your emotions, but be led by God's instructions. That the Holy Spirit, as He speaks to us, as He instructs us and leads us, that's what we need to be led by and not by our emotions. So we want to talk about the power of emotions, power of why we feel what we feel. And oftentimes that leads to so many other things. So as we talked about this idea of how we cannot allow our emotions to just take over, but we have to be led by God's instructions and what he says in his word and just the principles that we need to follow through. I want to talk about the story that some of you might be familiar with. It's a story about David, Nabal, and also Abigail. And Nabal is an interesting person, and I, I'll talk about it as we read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. But Nabal and Abigail, they were married, and then David comes into this picture. And so you'll see David, who was going to be the future king, who literally got triggered by a situation and affected it emotionally, especially in the area of anger and how that could have been disastrous for him. So I want to talk about that. So there are two things that I'm going to highlight for us. The first thing is this, that we must be aware of the situation. We have to be aware of the situation. This is the, one of the reasons why we always talk about awareness in our church. We're trying to encourage you to grow in emotional intelligence. We're trying to encourage you to be more aware of things around you, what's happening, because the more you are aware, the more you can understand why you are feeling what you're feeling. So either you could repent of it quickly or at least ask for help so that you can move forward in that. So as we talk about being aware of the situation, 
we're going to look into the story and there's a couple things that I notice as soon as we start the story. The first of all is that we have to, we must connect the dots, that we have to connect the dots. If you're going to be aware of the situation, you have to connect the dots. Let's go ahead and read verse 1 through 8 in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25. This is what it says, starting from verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down into the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Ma'an whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was sharing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. Let's look at this passage. I'm going to just read different portions of the story so you can follow along, and I'm going to comment and try to draw some principles. I think the problem with many of us is that we go through things on a daily basis and we don't know why we feel what we feel. We don't know what is triggering some of the emotional things that we're facing in our lives. And part of awareness of a situation is that you got to be able to see the different factors that are involved in that moment. So let me help us to connect the dots in David's story so that you can understand why he responded the way he did and then we could kind of draw off this understanding of being aware of our situation. There are several things that you need to know about what was happening at this point. So these are the connecting, uh, the dots that we need to connect. The first thing is this. David was on the run from King Saul. Those of you who know your Bible story, we realize that King Saul was jealous of David. So he wanted to kill David. So he was on a manhunt to find David. But David and his men, his mighty warriors, they were running away from King Saul. So that's one thing you have to understand. Now, I don't know what you know about this. I don't think not too many of us, but when someone is on a hot pursuit, it does affect you mentally, emotionally, and in this case, even physically as they were living out in the wilderness. The second thing that I want you to notice is that David had the opportunity to kill King Saul. If you look at one chapter earlier in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, you will notice that David had this wonderful opportunity to actually kill King Saul as he was hiding in the cave. So it's a really interesting story, and I'm not going to have time to get into it, but King Saul had to relieve himself, a.k.a. go to the bathroom. And so as he's going to the bathroom in this cave, that's where David was hiding. Now, I don't know what type of bathroom, one or two, but I'm guessing if you had an opportunity to kill somebody, you can figure that out. And so when we think about this, it is amazing how David 
exercised a lot of self-control, that he did not kill King Saul when he had the opportunity to. So that tells you something, that David understood and he feared God because King Saul at that time was God's anointed one. The third thing that I want you to notice as another dot that we need to connect together is that the prophet Samuel passed away, and we see this in verse 1 as we read for chapter 25. And the reason why this is important because many people speculate that they had a close relationship because it was Samuel who anointed David, that he was going to be the next king. And so having someone like a mentor older than you passing away, it affected you. So once again, you got to think about the situation and be aware of what's happening. That emotionally, someone that you cared about, someone that prayed over you and anointed you to be the king, now he passed away. And it says here, all of Israel mourn. Which kind of leads me to the last thing that we need to be aware of is that David escaped further into the wilderness. That's what we see from what we read. That he escaped further into the wilderness. Why is this important? Because as King Saul was chasing after him, and then as Samuel passed away, some people, scholars, believe that he went probably to mourn, but also to go further away from King Saul. With all these dots, we should be thinking, what is happening? What is going on? And I think these are these kairos moments that we've talked about that God uses to actually speak to us. There are some of you right now that are going through a lot of things, and these are all dots in your life. There are different factors, different situations, different circumstances. Some of you, it might be some tragedy or some pain that you've recently experienced. Some of you might be just emptiness that you're feeling in your heart, and you don't know why. For some of us, we're just feeling as if, is this really the life that I want to live? There are a lot of things that some of you are going through, even battling with some issues of addictions or some issues of sin in your life. Some of you, during this fast, you realize that how far away you have been from God. These are all karas moments, moments in time that you've experienced that you're going through and God is trying to get your attention. One of the ways to overcome some of the triggers in your life is when you're able to frame all the things you're going through and be able to see it and realize is there something that God is trying to show me? Is there something that he's trying to reveal in my life that I, I am not aware of? That's exactly what happened in this situation. I think in this difficult situation that David was in, this is when he began to think about Nabal or Nabal. When he started thinking about him, he, he, he said this, here we are on the wilderness, we're hungry, and I don't want my men to die. So then he thought about Nabal and he thought about how Nabal was a rich and prosperous person. In fact, the Bible tells us in verse 2 and 3 that he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goat. Can you imagine? That's a feast if you had to just even kill a couple of them to eat. So in the midst of thinking through this and as he was facing these, all these difficult situations as he was in the wilderness... David was thinking to himself that since he and his men protected Nabal and his shepherds, that's what it says as we just read, sometime back at Carmel, that David protected them so that they were able to still be prosperous. 
David thought to his in his mind, surely if I humbly asked Nabal if he could at least give us some provision and some food, that he would do it. There was an expectation. Maybe the best way to look at it is this. I scratched your back, now you scratch my back. It's kind of like the Asian thing. Like, I bought you dinner one time, now it's your turn to buy me dinner. So this courtesy, this idea, and that's how David was thinking, especially in this story. Now, as you know, things were different. And this is where the story gets interesting. So we got to be aware. And one of the ways that we can be aware is that we have to connect the dots. And the second thing is that we have to check our motives. If you're going to be aware of the situation around you, you got to check your motives. So let's go ahead and read verse 9 through 22. It's going to be a longer portion, but try to follow along as best as you can. And you'll see what begins to uh, transpire in the story, as I already shared with you. It says this in verse 9. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And they then they waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I don't, I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messenger out of the, uh, to the wilderness, out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wines and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And he said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down towards her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Wow. Let's, let's pause here as we just kind of unraveled what transpired after that incident. 
We see that David's men went to ask for the provisions and then Nabal, he refused them. And we see in verse 10 through 11 that he was not only disrespectful, but he literally brushed them off. Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Now, I don't know about you, but that, that must be infuriating for David because he risked his life and his men to protect Nabal and his crop, or if you will, his cattle and sheep. Then in verse 12, we see David's men, after hearing this, probably being shocked, went back to David and told David all that happened. Now, how did David respond? We see this in verse 13. The way he responded was that he was what? Everyone say it. He was triggered. Why? Because he was so upset that he was just asking for food on the day of feast when there's a lot of food. And that this man, being foolish as he is, did not want to give any food. Now, the reason why we have to notice that he was triggered and understand his anger is this. Do you know how many men that he decided to send and go up into this area to take care of business? The Bible tells us 400. You don't need 400 men to just get one person. But that's how upset and angry David was, that he literally wanted to obliterate and completely get rid of everything. That's why he said, far for be it for me if by morning there's anybody who's still alive. Like this is how crazy David got just because of the situation. I don't know about you, but I think David went a little bit overboard. And what triggered him? And I was thinking about this. If I were placed in a situation and many of you maybe have been in the situation where you decided out of the kindness of your heart to do something and some of us maybe with wrong motives that we're doing something because we're expecting something in return i don't know if that's the case for david but if you think about the story you'll notice that david took such extreme measures because he was unappreciated he was disrespected and he was dismissed can I challenge us as we think about this story? How many of us can relate to David when we're disrespected, dismissed, and completely ignored, especially after you have done something that was worthy of appreciation? So for David, let's go through this. So for David, when we apply the T principle, the T-E-A, it's very simple. So let's, let's kind of go through this. Let's, let's, let's look at this. For David, what do we see? His action. We see his action. And from his action, it was fueled by what? It was fueled by his emotions. And then from his emotions was his thoughts. So he ended up sending 400 men. He was ready to kill them. Why? Because he was triggered by the emotions. Why? What were some of the emotions? Because he felt he was being disrespected. And then how did that come about? Because he was thinking to himself, I did all this and look how he treated me. How do we know this? Look at verse 21 and 22. I think reading from the message translation will help you to understand his thought process. And the read the yellow section with me. It says this, David had just said, that sure was what? A waste. I mean, have you, just look at me for a moment. Have, have you ever gotten to that point? 
where you do something and it just seems like a waste? Like all your energy, all your time, all your efforts, and you're like, wow, that, that was a waste. So once David got to his mind that that was a waste, that fueled more anger in him. And in that anger, then he says, let's go and let's go. We're going to take care of business. Let's continue in that verse. Guarding everything this man had out in the wild so that nothing he had was lost. And now, read this section. It says what? He rewards me with insults, a real slap in the face. May God do his worst to me if Nabal and every cur on his begotten brood aren't dead meat by morning. So you get his thought process. He felt that he deserved better. He felt that he didn't deserve this because he spent all this energy and time and efforts in protecting them. No wonder that thought, a feeling that he should at least be appreciated, fueled his emotions. And from his emotions, then you get the action. So let's just pause here for a moment. I'm going to ask you again. What are some of your triggers? And the best way to be able to address some of those triggers is to first think about the thought. A lot of times it's difficult to get to that point. So I always tell people, start with the A, your actions. You're angry. You're upset. You're worried. You're full of anxiety. There's a sense of uncertainty. Whatever it may be. So think about some of your actions in light of those emotions. And that's when you realize, when you think about it, oh, I have a disbelief. Or I'm not really believing that God is good. Or I don't believe that I'm going to be provided for. Or if I don't take care of myself, then something's going to happen. So that thought, then it's like a loop. It begins to feel that emotion and then as your emotion, as it's getting fueled, it's going to continue to cause you to act. I think I see this oftentimes with some of you who are believers in your relationship with God. Because you're struggling with something, a sin or area of your life. So it affects you emotionally. And please don't forget, apathy is also an emotion in many ways. It's a state of emotion that you feel where you just don't care. And that fuels the apathy. And from there, or even fear of God. And then you realize, oh, my thought is like, God should have done something for me. He owes me something. These types of thoughts. I think David felt justified in his anger. And he wanted revenge. That's why he felt completely okay by sending 400 men to be able to move forward. I think this is what happens when we get triggered and we don't know what we're feeling and why we're doing what we're doing. You know, as I was thinking about this, remember the three different areas? And I realized the thing that kind of triggers me, as I mentioned earlier, was that when there's incompetency and then people try to cover it up and try to act as if they know some things instead of really taking a humble posture. And so there have been uh, several instances and there's some people who could probably testify where we're having discussion about something. And because whether I have a certain knowledge of it, because I'm older, so maybe I have certain experience of it, 
once you get rooted in pride, that a person then we are in a discussion and this person then begins to share as if they know what they're talking about. And as I'm listening, I'm like, that is false or that is illogical or that doesn't make sense. I don't think he or she knows what they're talking about. So what, what I would do is I would usually throw a lob, like a, a lob, a little balloon out just to let them know, like, I don't know if you're thinking through this correctly. And then usually in those kind of situations, there's a person who they get triggered by me because how I say it, maybe in a way that I reference it, it's not something that is helpful for them. And so they begin to then push back. Now, usually I don't mind pushback because then it shows me that they're at least trying to think. Because that's better than anyone who says yes, yes, yes. If they're just yes people, then that's not very helpful, especially if you're in a higher level or organization. And so there's some pushback in which I don't mind. That part doesn't trigger me. But then when they're pushing back, then I will then be a little bit stronger in terms of what I share. And then when I do share it and then they push back even harder, that's when it's going down. And that's when it goes downhill very quickly. And I have been told by many people, which I cannot tell in that moment because I'm getting triggered left and right, that oftentimes they can tell that I'm getting triggered because my eyes get bigger like this. It's almost like, Literally, I'm ready to come and devour you. They also have indicated that my body language, I'm not chill and relaxed and say, what's up? I literally reshift my body to a attack mode. And I'm sitting at the edge of my chair with my hands or my shoulders up like this, ready to go at it. And like I said, it's so like unconscious that I don't even see it. So when things went down, as that person got triggered, and then I got triggered, and we're going back and forth, um, there have been people who love me and care for me enough to say, Pastor, I don't know if that's very helpful uh, for our discussion. And they like to use Google studies and say, this is not a very psychologically safe place, Pastor. This is not helping us. So I've said, okay then what I need for you to do is to help me. Because sometimes when I get triggered, I don't even know I'm getting triggered. I don't even know my eyes are getting bigger. I thought I was Asian, so my eyes are small. But anyway, I, like, I don't even know my eyes are getting bigger. I don't even know that my body posture is in attack mode. So I said, can you be like a speed bump or at least jump in? And then I'll be like, okay, I'm getting too worked up. So I, I, I need to calm down a little bit. And this has helped. Because I realize that oftentimes we're not aware of the situation because we don't know what our motive is. And we, we don't connect the dots. And when I put it all together, I realize that once again, the trigger point for me is when somebody who's incompetent or who think that they know, don't really know. And they're very limited in their experience, limited in their perspective. And where is it rooted in? It's rooted in my pride. It's rooted in thinking that I know what I'm talking about, which is not always the case. So once again, this is something that we have to be able to see. What is your motive? Why do you do what you do? Why are you upset? What's triggering you? Are there things in your life that's causing you 
than to go through this emotional state and then oftentimes leading to action that you do not want. Thomas A. Akempis wrote this, be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. I thought that was really interesting. So often we want to make sure that we help other people to be somebody that they should be, a better version of themselves or more Christ-like. But you realize within your own life, within your own heart, you're not even close to being like that. In verse 18 through 20, we see one of Abigail's servants finding out what was going on, and she ends up telling her of this immediate or imminent danger. Now, let me just kind of quickly summarize, because we're not going to have time to read through all this. But in verse 23 to 31, we see that Abigail saw David. She falls down before David and begs him not to punish Nabal for her, her, her husband's foolishness. It's interesting that she speaks words of life and affirmation to David. You could read this section later, but I'm just trying to summarize for you. That she speaks word of life and words of affirmation to David. That God will keep him safe. That God will give him victory over his enemies. And that God will give him success and make him great. Because she knew that he was going to be the next king. And why is this important? Not only because Abigail was wise in saying these things, but she was trying to diffuse the situation. And she alleviated the potential explosive situation that it was going to be by helping David to see the consequences if he followed through on his anger. We need more wise people like that in our lives who can help diffuse things so that we can be thinking through the consequences that will follow. I'm just wondering, have you learned to connect the dots? Do you check your motives often? Because that help you to be aware of the situation around you. How about us this morning? I'm just wondering if there are certain situations that you react to all the time. What are some of those things? What causes you to feel that and to think that? And maybe this is something that we have to be more aware of in our lives. We have to ask God for insight. Maybe pray the prayer that David prayed. Lord, search me and try me and know and see if there's any offensive thought or way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Let him show you. Let him speak to you. We cannot just be led or respond to just our emotions, but we have to be led by God's instructions, his word and what he says. And that's why the first thing, as I mentioned, we got to be aware of our situation and this is something we all need to grow in see what's happening connecting the dots checking our motives why are we feeling what we're feeling the second point is this that we have to be assured of god's sovereignty that we have to be assured of god's sovereignty there, there will be things that you will not be able to control but that god's going to take care of it that he's going to work through the situation that you're in right now let me just go ahead and summarize verse 32 and 35. You'll notice that David finally realizes that it was God who sent Abigail to him. And he finally realizes that if it wasn't for her, he would have had shed some blood. And with this realization, he realized that it was sent to him by God. Abigail was sent to him by God. This is what we talk about a lot in our church. It's a means of God's grace. That sometimes that when we are about to do some things, God sometimes uses other things 
so that we don't have to experience the things that we're about to experience. Listen to what it says as David was going to take control, the whole situation into his control and not fully trusting in God due to his triggers and the way he was reacting. Listen to how God stepped in. I'm going to read, I'm going to read verse 34. Listen to what it says. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. And read this part. It says this. Who has restrained me from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me? Truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. So what he's saying is this, that he realized it was God of Israel who sent Abigail to him so that she can help restrain him from hurting the people that she loves and even her. That's why the Amplified Version of that verse says this, Nevertheless, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has prevented me from harming you. So this idea of God was the one who prevented him from going in this direction. I think this is so much of what God is trying to do in your life. Listen to me very carefully. Some of you right now, there are some major character flaws and issues that God is trying to address. Why? Because he's thinking about the future because he's a God who sees time all at once your past, your present, and your future. And because some of the things of your character traits, it's going to affect your future family for once you get married and have kids. God is trying to work on some of those areas of your life right now. I realized that now when I was younger, there were so many things that I felt like God was trying to work, but I just totally blew past that stoplight. I'm like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do in my own rebellion, in my own sin. And then later on, I realized that those issues that have not been addressed, it manifests then in a new context. But the problem now is that it affects other people in deeper ways. Just recently, uh, some of you know, um, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about my parents and as they're getting older now, and especially during this COVID situation. So I've been trying to keep in contact with them. And it scares me sometimes when I, you know, contact them through a, a messaging app. And they don't respond to me for like hours, you know? And I'm like, does something happen? Then I'm contacting my sister who's in Chicago. And, and they're like, yeah, I just talked to them not too long ago. They're okay. And so as I was thinking about this, I, I was recently thinking about some of the conflicts I got with my mom. I'll never forget one when I went back to the States for while I was here in Hong Kong. Our family, we went back to the States. And one of the things that triggered me was that my mom at this older age, she's in her 80s, She's starting to collect things. So if we want to call it pack rack, whatever it is there, she doesn't want to throw anything away. And so like there are things, I mean, Lord bless her. I love her with all my heart. But like, you know, those carry out the containers and she would just save them. And when, I, when we went to our place, she had stacks of them. Some of you are like, what's wrong with that? I keep those. But let me, let me explain. It's not just one or two where you're going to use it for to take lunch the next day. We're talking about stacks that are high up. There are stuff that I don't know for how many years ago that she is not willing to throw away. So what happened was that one time when we went back to Chicago, we got into this heated argument and I started yelling at her. I mean, it was pretty bad because she was saying some stuff and, it, you know, didn't make sense. She didn't know what she was talking about. So then I was sharing all this stuff with her and then she got really hurt and it just ended really, really poorly. And in the midst of all this, I was just thinking to myself, like, well, how do we get here? And so if I would use the T once again, the thought, the emotion, and the action, I realized my action was, 
I was yelling at her. And the question I needed to ask myself is, why was I yelling at her? So that's the first thing. Why was I yelling at my mom? Because that was the action that I was doing. The second thing that I had to ask myself is that why was I feeling this anger, this frustration, and this hopelessness? Because in some ways, I just thought that what she was doing wasn't good, that it wasn't helpful. And what tied it in was that because she's collecting so many things at this old age now in the house, there's no room when Christina and I and the kids were there. It's really like it's really kind of crowded and there's things I'm like, mom, just throw this away. And then as I was thinking about that, I had to ask myself, what was going through my mind and what was my thought process? And bottom line was I wanted to tell my mom how to live her life. I mean, my motive was genuine. I wanted to show her that I cared for her and she shouldn't live this way. But I wasn't really thinking about my mom. Those of you who have older parents, listen to me carefully. When people start getting older, they hold on to things more because they know they're going to pass away. And so instead of thinking and trying to understand her, I'm just thinking there's no room in this place. There's all this junk. And so when I was able to go through my actions and then the emotions and the thought process, it made sense to me. I share this because I'm just wondering for some of us, if God is trying to reveal things in a sovereign way, that things are out of your control, but he's trying to show you something. Even in verse 36 through 39, once again, I'm not going to read it, but if you look at verse 36 and 39, we see that Abigail, on that day when she came back from meeting with David, she was going to actually tell her husband what happened. But she decided to hold off because he was throwing a party and there was a feast. And he was drunk. So the next day, it says here, that she ended up telling Nabal what happened. And in this story, we see that he was completely in shock and realized that he would have been killed. And so it says here that his heart died or stopped. And after 10 days, he ended up passing away. Now, why is this important? Because in verse 39, David heard about this news of Nabal passing away. And David saw this as a sign from God for his vindication. Not to say that David was being vindictive, but he said that he was about to do something that he should not do. And he realized God is sovereign. God is in control. I should not bring this upon myself, but I need to trust in God. That's why Deuteronomy chapter 32 to 35 in the New Living Translation says, I will take revenge. This is God speaking. I will pay them back. In due time, their feet will slip. Their day of disaster will arrive and their destiny will overtake them. Listen to how, what it says in the voice translation. Revenge is mine. I will settle all scores. Soon they'll stumble because of the day of disaster is almost here and their doom is coming quickly. And then if you fast forward, Apostle Paul to the people of Romans, he says this, and people of Rome, he says in chapter 12, verse 19 of the book of Romans, the voice translation, he says, again, my loved ones, do not seek revenge. Instead, allow God's wrath to make sure justice is served. Turn it over to him, for the scripture says, revenge is mine, I will settle all scores. It is God who in his sovereignty would take care of some of those things that we are not to control things. That's why when we get triggered, oftentimes it's because we want to be in control rather than trusting in God and what He's doing. That's why even through hardships, even through suffering, even through trials, we have to believe it is God's means of grace to work on you 
so that you may be able to become more like Christ. That's why Elton uh, Trueblood wrote this. He says, the Christian is joyful, not because he is blind to injustice and suffering, but because he is convinced that these, in the light of the divine sovereignty, are never ultimate. The Christian can be sad and often is perplexed, but he is never really worried because he knows that the purpose of God is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I'm wondering, how about us? Do you trust in his sovereignty? Are you assured of his sovereignty? Do you know the things that you're going through that God is going to use it for something that is greater? Because right now, some of you are getting triggered by so many things that that's God's means of grace to show you there's stuff in your life that you have to address. So once again, the one thing is don't be controlled by your emotions, but be led by God's instructions. And when you think about the story of David and Abigail and even Nabal, you will notice that it really is the gospel, isn't it? That all of us, we have rebelled against God. We have lived in sin. We have broken fellowship with Him and then even affecting the community that we're a part of. And just sim similarly, in the same way with Nabal, what, one of the things we notice is that his name means fool, the fool. How often have we responded to God? Do I know you, God? Have you really blessed me? And in that way, God's anger and his wrath should have been poured out upon us. Because we have forgotten the blessings. We have forgotten his grace. We have decided to live for ourselves. But God in His mercy, exposing that in our lives, what did He do? He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live the perfect life that you and I could not live, but He died on the cross. So now, as we think about our lives, in all our response, it was Jesus, when He was the one that should have said, this is too hard, I should not, I want to come down, but He stayed on the cross to die for your sins and my sins. This is why we need to respond. Respond to see ourselves in light of the gospel and asking God to help us to become more like him. I wanted to kind of share uh, something really briefly here about some next steps. And this is something that I just recently started doing and I've been amazed at the power of this one little exercise. So let me give us some next steps in light of this because we're talking about triggers and our emotions. The first thing I want to encourage you is just pause before you respond. Because a lot of times we just respond just right away rather than pausing and seeing what's happening in our lives. The second thing is this. Pray through the T principle. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Like what, do I, what am I feeling? And what is my thought? What is a, a lie that I'm believing in or a disbelief that I have or a doubt that I have? Pray through it and ask God to show you. The next one, I think this is where it's going to be important. And I'm going to encourage the life group leaders to help us to do this during life group this coming week. But let me just give you an overview very quickly so we can end it here. I want you to practice the 478 breathing technique. Some of you are like, oh, wow, we're getting into some yoga stuff, right? Listen to me carefully. Those of you who don't know me, like yoga, new age stuff, meditation. A lot of times I just saw it as a very negative thing because it's always associated with new age and associated with other things. But I realized that the act itself, there's nothing wrong with it because it's, it depends on what it is that you're focusing in on. Is meditation wrong? 
No, if you're focused on Jesus, meditating is good. The Bible even references about meditating uh, the things of our hearts unto God. So there's nothing wrong with that. So what happened was this. As many of you know, uh, I, I really enjoy the Navy SEALs, the United States military, the Navy SEALs. And I remember watching a documentary where they're talking about these snipers that will go into Afghanistan and Iraq and some of these war-torn countries to kind of bring liberation for the people there. And I remember the story of this one sniper. He, they have this breathing technique to help you to breathe, to calm you down. Because why? Because the amygdala, which is that little brain that's near the brainstem, that is the thing that kicks into our fight or flight. So there's shortness of breath. We get all tense. We get locked in. And it's God's way of protecting us from danger. But when you are in that situation, you can't think straight. You can't even act right. You can't even do anything. And it literally, you end up making a lot of mistakes. So one of the things that they teach them is learning how to breathe. Because when you breathe correctly, then you can calm a lot of those things down. And then it's almost like how they talk about how time seems to stand still and you see things clearly. That's exactly what happens. So I was thinking, okay, so how do you do this as a Christian? So I was kind of scouring the internet and I found out this thing called the 478 breathing technique. And so pretty much what you're doing is you are inhaling a deep breath for four seconds. And then you are holding your breath for seven seconds. That breath that you took in, you hold it for seven seconds. And then you exhale that breath for eight seconds, really slowly. And so as I was thinking, I'm like, ah, oh, it still sounds a little bit too much like all this weird uh, new age stuff. So you know what I did? I decided to go from Genesis to Revelation and look at all the passages that might have chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Yes, I stayed up uh, not too long ago, uh, a couple days back, just all night, just try to figure this out. And as I was kind of thinking through this, I came across Philippians chapter 4. Verse 7 and 8. Now, I didn't include chapter, uh, verse 6 in there because verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything but with everything through prayer and uh, uh, petition and supplication before God. And then listen to what it says in verse 7 and 8. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. And it just became a revelation for me. A lot of times when we think about our triggers, we get angry, we feel these emotions, we get anxious. But it says here, don't be anxious about everything or anything, but the peace of God. That's what we need in those times when we get triggered is the peace of God. And to think correctly, think about these things that are honorable. Think about these things that are just. Think about the things that are pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable. And so with this, I was thinking, well, what are we going to do? There's just kind of, and so once again, it's what you think about. So there is this breathing technique, the 478 that I decided to make it now biblical because it's Philippians 4, 7, and 8. Right? You just slap that in there, but it's, it's biblical. But then I'm going to teach you this breathing technique with the acronym BREATH. So listen to me carefully. You're going to inhale and exhale. You're going to inhale 
and exhale. Inhale and exhale three times with this acronym breath. So the first thing is this. You are inhaling God's blessings. You are inhaling all of that is true that is given to us. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about that. That all we have, we are blessed with all the blessings, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. So when you do the four, seven, eight, you're breathing in in four seconds. All of God's blessings. You got to think about his blessings, who he is. And then you hold that for seven seconds. And then you are exhaling. What are you exhaling? You are exhaling your rebellion. So breathe in blessings and you're exhaling your rebellion your sin, your, your attitude, all those things that pull you away from God. So after the four, seven, eight, 19 seconds of this, you do this. You do the math. And then you exhale it out, and then you inhale again. And what do you do? So the B-R-E is God's encouragement. What he says about who we are. So we inhale that in. Four seconds, hold it for seven and then we begin to exhale. What do we exhale? We exhale our anxiety. Because this is one of the reasons why we get stressed. And then the last part is we begin to inhale what? God's truth. Because a lot of times we struggle with our minds and all the lies. So that we breathe in four seconds and hold it for seven seconds of God's truth. Think about it. Meditate in that moment. And then exhale our hopelessness. So if you think about it, Blessings, encouragement, and truth are things that are going to help us when we get triggered. The things that are inside of us when we get triggered are the sins and the rebellion and our anxiety and feeling hopelessness. So we're exhaling those things out. So why is this important? Because I said, what good is it if I come up with this idea, but it doesn't work? So what I did the yesterday was that when I was feeling a little bit stressed of some things that I had to take care of, I was in multiple phone conferences and I was feeling a little bit anxious. I said, I'm going to try this out. I cannot recommend it to our church if it doesn't even work. So I literally did this. I started inhaling for four seconds and holding for seven seconds God's blessings. All that the Bible tells me that I have in Christ. And then I began to exhale for eight seconds all my rebellion and just my thoughts that are not in line with scripture. And then I breathed in God's encouragement. What he says about me, who I am in Christ. And as I began to breathe that for four seconds, hold it for a second, and then began to exhale my anxiety for eight seconds. And then once again, the third part was I began to inhale God's truth, his word. And what he says, that he does not lie. And as I began to exhale my hopelessness and sometimes the feeling like, oh, I don't know if it's going to work or not. Like literally I saw just my whole body just get to the state of calmness. And so I'm sharing this because you will not know if it's true unless you try it. So I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to try it. And then this coming week, as we go into life group, I'm going to, encourage us to actually practice now i know it might look ridiculous can you imagine and you're holding it in some of you might can't, can't even hold it for seven so you might faint or whatever so don't do that so you don't have to go exactly seven but just try to hold it as long as you can up to seven seconds and then when you exhale it for eight seconds you got to do it really slow
do it three times. That's 19 seconds per inhale, exhale. So it's 57 seconds. One minute when you're feeling triggered. And when you do this, you'll see your whole body, your breathing, everything, your anxiety go down. That will give you clarity in your thought. So then you could then begin to ponder upon the word of God and respond in a way that's honoring and pleasing to God. Because it's about time. We're just going to close out and I'm going to pray for you. And as we think about this coming week, I just want to challenge us. There's going to be so many things that you're going to get triggered by. There will be things that are outside of your control. There are things that you personally struggle with, just your personality or whatever. Maybe some of you I know that are struggling with mental and emotional health. And I don't think this lockdown or this pandemic is helping. Some of you have been alone, locked up in your room for months now. And as you know, just Zooming, even though there is some level of interaction, but it's not the same as if it's face-to-face. -face. And so many different things are triggering us. And we don't even know what it is that we're feeling. We're unaware of our situation. And we're unassured of God's sovereignty. But can I encourage us? Everything that is happening right now in your life, God is trying to get your attention. He's trying to speak to you. There might be something in your life that he's trying to expose because he realized five years from now, ten years from now, it's going to really be a hindrance to you and you're not going to be able to live out God's purposes. He uses other people. He uses circumstances to help you to see that. And I'm praying that this coming week, especially when it gets stressful, filled with anxiety, anger, Whatever it is that you feel when you get triggered, practice the breath, breathe in God's blessings, and then exhale your rebellion against God, your sins, and then begin to breathe in His encouragement, and then exhale all your anxieties. Breathe in God's truth, and then exhale the sense of hopelessness or doubts that you have. And then just see your whole body just kind of be in a state where it's calm. Then you can think about who Jesus is and what he did for you. And then maybe respond with grace and love. And so that whatever the emotions that we're feeling, we could bring it unto the Lordship of Christ and experience the life that he has planned for us. I'm going to ask you, just would you just close your eyes? If you can, I know like we've, we've, been, we've been praying for you. I'm, I'm praying for the, all of us, we're, hopefully we'll, we'll be praying for the church-wide conference that we'll be having. I just really feel like the topic, I already talked to Pastor John yesterday. I was in a phone conference with him. We are just talking. I'm just really excited for what he's going to share. And he's also looking forward to minister to us. And so let's really believe by faith that he's going to do that. God's going to use him. So I'm just going to ask you, if, if you can, if you could just stand, I know it's more comfortable sitting, but you've been sitting there for a while. Can you just stand? Changing your body posture also helps. Just stand right where you are. And I'm going to ask you to take your hands and just place it over your heart, wherever you think your heart is, place it over your heart. 
let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word and just even stories that we see in scripture of people that are just like us. Because different things that triggered David in the same way we get triggered, whether it's our lack of respect from people or when we are not getting what we want or things that are happening that are outside of our control. Lord, a lot of times it fuels anxiety or stress or even just feeling as if we're, we, we want to grasp onto things. Causes us to manipulate and to sin. But I'm praying in the name of Jesus that as we see it in your word, that Lord, that in your sovereignty, we know that you are bringing people, bringing situations so we can avert away from some of those things that are natural and easy for us in our simple nature. Help us to turn to you. Help us to cast all our anxiety upon you because you care as the Bible tells us. And that as we begin to practice breathing and believing that Lord God, you're so much better, that you have things for us that's better than anything else in this world, I just pray that we'll receive it by faith. And as we do receive it by faith, that we'll be able to move forward, trusting in you. Lord, I just pray for those who are struggling mentally, emotionally right now, who are feeling alone in isolation. Lord, will you come and comfort them by the power of the Holy Spirit? And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that every time we have an opportunity to engage our co-workers, our friends, uh, just life group members or strangers even, that God, that we will shine and show forth the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, the way that you have ministered to us, even in this fast, we pray that this will not just be the end because we ended our fast, but Lord, it will be a posture of our hearts, posture, Lord, of our mindset that we desire, Lord, to seek you, that you are our one desire. And as we move forward in that, Lord, that we can, Lord, experience the fullness of life, the joy, the peace that you offer to us. So we thank you, Lord God. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. And we're just encouraged by all that God is doing in your life and in our church. And so let's be in prayer. And so this coming week, 478, breathing technique. Give it a try. I was not a believer. I am now a believer. I believe it's going to affect you to calm down, to focus on Jesus Christ. So God bless you. We're looking forward to next week as well. So we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.